Part 3. The Academy. It is the propagation of the lies that bind drow society together, the ultimate perpetration of falsehoods repeated so many times that they ring true against any contrary evidence. The lessons young drow are taught of truth and justice are so blatantly refuted by everyday life in wicked men's baronzen that it is hard to understand how any could believe them. Still, they do. Even now, decades removed, the thought of that place frightens me. Not for any physical pain or the ever-present sense of possible death. I have trod down many roads equally dangerous in that way. The Academy of Menzoberans and frightens me when I think of the survivors, the graduates, existing, reveling within the evil fabrications that shape their world. They live with the belief that anything is acceptable if you can get away with it, that self-gratification is the most important aspect of existence, and that power comes only to she or he who is strong enough and cunning enough to snatch it from the failing hands of those who no longer deserve it. Compassion has no place in Menzoberranzan, and yet it is compassion, not fear, that brings harmony to most races. It is harmony, working towards shared goals, that precedes greatness. Lies engulf the drow in fear and mistrust, refute friendship at the tip of a loth-blessed sword, the hatred and ambition fostered by those amoral tenants are the doom of my people, a weakness that they perceive as strength. The result is a paralyzing, paranoid existence that the drow call the edge of readiness. I do not know how I survived the academy, how I discovered the falsehoods early enough to use them in contrast, and thus strengthen those ideals I most cherish. It was Zach Nefane, I must believe, my teacher, through the experiences of Zach's long years, which embittered him and cost him so much, I came to hear the screams, the screams of protest against murderous treachery, the screams of rage from the leaders of Drown Society, the high priestesses of the Spider Queen echoing down the paths of my mind, ever to hold a place within my mind, the screams of the dying children. Drizzt to Arden. Chapter 12 this enemy, they. Wearing the outfit of a noble son and with a dagger concealed in one boot, a suggestion from Dinan, Drizzt ascended the wide stone stairway that led to Tierbrech, the academy of the drow. Drizzt reached the top and moved between the giant pillars under the impassive gazes of two guards, last year's students, of melee match there. Two dozen other young drow milled about the academy compound, but Drizzt hardly noticed them. These three structures dominated his vision and his thoughts. To his left stood the pointed stalagmite tower of Sorcerer, the school of wizardry. Drizzt would spend the first six months of his tenth and last year of study in there. Before him at the back of the level loomed the most important structure, Arak Tanilith, the school of Loth, carved from the stone into the likeness of a giant spider. By drow reckoning, this was the academy's most important building, and thus was normally reserved for females. Male students were housed within a rock to Nilith only during their last six months of study. While Sorcer and a rock to Nilith were the most graceful structures, the most important building for Drizzt at the tentative moment lined the walls to his right, the pyramidal structure of melee match there, the school of fighters. 
this building would be Driss' home for the next nine years. His companions, he now realized, were those other dark elves in the compound. Fighters like himself, about to begin their formal training. The class, at 25, was unusually large for the school of fighters. Even more unusual, several of the novice students were nobles. Drizzt wondered how his skills would measure up against theirs, how his sessions with Zach Nefane compared to the battles these others had no doubt fought with the weapons masters of their respective families. Those thoughts inevitably led Drizzt back to his last encounter with his mentor. He quickly dismissed the memories of that unpleasant duel and, more pointedly, the disturbing questions Zack's observations had forced him to consider. There was no place for such doubts on this occasion. Melee match there loomed before him, the greatest test of the greatest lessons of his young life. "'My greetings,' came a voice behind him. Driz turned to face a fellow novice, who wore a sword and dirk uncomfortably on his belt, and who appeared even more nervous than Driz. A comforting sight. Kelnos of House Kennefin, fifteenth house, the novice said. Driz Duarden of Damon Nerches Bernin, House Duarden, ninth house of Menzaboranzen, Driz replied automatically, exactly as Matron Malice had instructed him. A noble, remarked Kelnos, understanding the significance of Driz bearing the same surname of his house. Kelnos dropped into a low bow. I am honored by your presence. Drizzt was starting to like this place already. With the treatment he normally received at home, he hardly thought of himself as a noble. Any self-important notions that might have occurred to him at Kelnos's gracious greeting were dispelled a moment later, though, when the masters came out. Drizzt saw his brother, Dinan, among them, but pretended, as Dinan had warned him to, not to notice, nor to expect any special treatment. Drizzt rushed inside Melee Magther along with the rest of the students when the whips began to snap and the masters started shouting of the dire consequences if they tarried. They were herded down a few side corridors and into an oval room. "'Sit or stand still as you will,' one of the masters growled. Noticing two of the students whispering off to the side, the master took his whip out and, crack, took one of the offenders off of his feet. Drizzt couldn't believe how quickly the room came to order. "'I am Hachnut, the master began in a resounding voice. "'The master of lore. "'This room will be your hall of instruction for fifty cycles of Narbondal.' "'He looked around at the adorned belts on every figure. "'You will bring no weapons to this place.' "'Hachnut paced the perimeter of the room, "'making certain that every eye followed his movements attentively. "'You are drow!' he snapped suddenly. Do you understand what that means? Do you know where you came from and the history of our people? Menzoberanzen was not always our home, nor was any other cavern in the Underdark. Once we walked the surface of the world, he spun suddenly and came up right in Dris's face. Do you know of the surface? Master Hatchnet snarled. Dris recoiled and shook his head. "'And awful place,' Hatchnet continued, running back to the whole of the group. "'Each day, as the globe begins its rise in our bundle, "'a great ball of fire rises into the open sky above, "'bringing hours of light greater than the punishing spells "'of the priestesses of Loth.' 
He held his arms outstretched, with his eyes turned upward, and an unbelievable grimace spread upon his face. Students' gasps rose up all about him. Even in the night, when the ball of fire has gone below the far rim of the world, Hatchnett continued, weaving his words as if he were telling a horror tale, one cannot escape the uncounted terrors of the surface. Reminders of what the next day will bring, dots of lights, and sometimes a lesser ball of silvery fire mar the sky's blessed darkness. Once our people walked the surface of the world, he repeated his tone, now one of lament. In ages long past, even longer than the lines of the great houses. In that distant age, we walked beside the pale-skinned elves, the fairies. It cannot be true, one student cried from the side. Hatchnet looked at him earnestly, considering whether more would be gained by beating the student for his unasked-for interruption or by allowing the group to participate. It is, he replied, choosing the latter course. We thought the fairies our friends. We called them kin. We could not know in our innocence that they were the embodiment of deceit and evil. We could not know that they would turn on us suddenly and drive us from them, slaughtering our children and the eldest of our race. Without mercy, the evil fairies pursued us across the surface world, Always we asked for peace, and always we were answered by swords and killing arrows. He paused, his face twisting into a widened, malicious smile. Then we found the goddess. Praise Loth, came one anonymous cry. And again, Hotchnet let the slip of a tongue go by unpunished knowing that every accenting comment only drew his audience deeper into his web of rhetoric. Indeed, the master replied, all praise to the Spider Queen. It was she who took our orphaned race to her side and helped us fight off our enemies. It was she who guided the four matrons of our race to the paradise of the Underdark. It is she, he roared, a clenched fist rising into the air. Who now gives us the strength and the magic to pay back our enemies? We are the drow, Hatchnet cried. You are the drow, never again to be downtrodden, rulers of all you desire, conquerors of the lands you choose to inhabit. The surface? came a question. The surface? echoed Hatchnet with a laugh. Who would want to return to that vile place? Let the fairies have it. Let them burn under the fires of the open sky. We claim the Underdark, where we can feel the core of the world thrumming under our feet, and where the stones of the walls show the heat of the world's power. Drizzt sat silent, absorbing every word of the talented orator's often rehearsed speech. Drizzt was caught, as were all the new students, in Hotchnet's hypnotic variations of inflection and the rallying cries. 
Hatchnet had been the master of lore at the academy for more than two centuries, owning more prestige in men's bronze than nearly any other male drow, and many of the females. The matrons of the ruling families understood well the value of his practiced tongue. So it went every day, an endless stream of hate rhetoric directed against an enemy that none of the students had ever seen. The surface elves were not the only target of Hotchnet's sniping. Dwarves, gnomes, humans, halflings, and all of the surface races, and even subterranean races such as the Durgar dwarves, which the drow often traded with and fought beside, each found an unpleasant spot in the master's rantings. Drizzt came to understand why no weapons were permitted in the oval chamber. When he left his lesson each day, he found his hands clenched at his side in fists of rage, unconsciously grasping for a scimitar hilt. It was obvious from the commonplace fights among the students that others felt the same way. Always, though, the overriding factor that kept some measure of control was the master's lie of the horrors of the outside world— and the comforting bond of the students' common heritage, a heritage the students would soon come to believe that gave them enough enemies to battle beyond each other. The long, draining hours in the oval chamber left little time for the students to mingle. They shared common barracks, but their extensive duties outside of Hatchnet's lessons, serving the older students and masters, preparing meals and cleaning the building, gave them barely enough time for rest. By the end of the first ten day, they walked on the edge of exhaustion, a condition Drist realized that only increased the stirring effect of Master Hotchnet's lessons. Drist accepted the existence stoically, considering it far better than the six years he had served his mother and sisters as page prince. Still, there was one great disappointment to Drist in his first ten days at melee match there. He found himself longing for his practice sessions. He sat on the edge of his bedroll late one night, holding a scimitar up before his shining eyes, remembering those many hours engaged in battle play with Zachnafane. We go to the lessons in two hours, Kelnos in the next bunk reminded him. Get some rest. I feel the edge leaving my hands, Drist replied quietly. The blade feels heavier, unbalanced. The Grand Melee is barely ten cycles of Narbondal away, Kelnos said. You will get all the practice you desire there. Fear not. Whatever edge has been dulled by the days with the Master of Lore will soon be regained. For the next nine years, that fine blade of yours will rarely leave your hands. Drizzt slid the scimitar back into its scabbard and reclined onto his bunk. As with so many aspects of his life so far, and, he was beginning to fear, with so many aspects of his future in Menza Baranzen, he had no choice but to accept the circumstances of his existence. "'This segment of your training is at an end,' Master Hatchnet announced on the morning of the fiftieth day. Another master, Dinan, entered the room, leading a magical suspended iron box filled with meagerly padded wooden poles of every length and design comparable to draw weapons. "'Choose the sparring pole that most resembles your own weapons of choice,' Hatchnet explained as Dinan made his way around the room. He came to his brother, and Drizzt's eyes settled at once on his choice— 
two slightly curving poles about three and a half feet long. Driz lifted them out and put them through a simple cut, their weight and balance closely resembling the scimitars that had become so familiar to his hands. For the pride of Damon, there says Bernan, Dinan whispered, then moved along. Driz twirled the mock weapons again. It was time to measure the value of his lessons and sessions with Zack. Your class must have an order, Hatchnet was saying as Driz turned his attention beyond the scope of his new weapons. Thus, the grand melee. Remember, there can be only one victor. Hatchnet and Dinan headed the students into the oval chamber and then out of melee match there altogether, down the tunnel between the two guardian spider statues at the back of Tierbrack. For all the students, this was their first time that they had ever been out of Menzoberranzan. "'What are the rules?' Drizzt asked Kelnaz, in line at his side. "'If a master calls you out, then you are out,' Kelnaz replied. "'No, no, no. The rules of engagement?' asked Drizzt. Kelnaz cast him an incredulous glance. "'Win,' he said simply, as though there was no other answer. A short time later, they came into a fairly large cavern, the arena for the Grand Melee. Pointed stalactites leered down at them from the ceiling, and stalagmite mounds broke the floor into a twisting maze filled with ambush holes and blind corners. "'Choose your strategies and find your starting point,' Master Hatchnet said to them. "'The Grand Melee begins in a count of one hundred. The twenty-five students set off into action, some pausing to consider the landscape laid out before them, others sprinting off into the gloom of the maze. Driz decided to find a narrow corridor to ensure that he would fight off one-on-one against as many opponents as possible. He just started off in his search when he was grabbed from behind. "'A team?' Kelnaz offered. Driz did not respond, unsure of the other's fighting worth— and the accepted practices of this traditional encounter. Others are forming into teams, Kelnos pressed. Some in threes. Together we might have a chance. The master said there could be only one victor, Drizzt reasoned. Who better than you, if not me? Kelnos replied with a sly wink. Let us defeat the others. Then we can decide the issue between ourselves. The reasoning seemed prudent, and with Hatchnet's count already approaching seventy-five, Drizzt had little time to ponder the possibilities. He clapped Kelnos on the shoulder and led his new ally into the maze. Catwalks had been constructed all around the room's perimeter, even crossing through the center of the chamber to give the judging masters a good view of all of the action. A dozen of them were up there now, all eagerly awaiting the first battle so they might measure the talent of the young class. One hundred! cried Hotsnut from his high perch. Kelnos began to move, but Triz stopped him, keeping him back in the narrow corridor between two long stalagmite mounds. Let them come to us! Drizzt signaled in the silent hand and facial expression code. He crouched in battle readiness. Let them fight each other to weariness. Patience is our ally. Kelnos relaxed, thinking he'd made a good choice in Drizzt. 
Their patience was not tested severely, though, for a moment later a tall and aggressive student burst into their defensive position, wielding a long spear-shaped pole. He came right in on Drist, slapping with the butt of his weapon, then spinning it over full in a brutal thrust designed for a quick kill, a strong move, perfectly executed. To Drizzt, though, it seemed the most basic of attack routines. Too basic, almost, for Drizzt hardly believed that a trained student would attack such a skilled fighter in such a straightforward manner. Drizzt convinced himself in time that this was indeed the chosen method of attack, and no feint, and he launched the proper parry. His scimitar poles spun counterclockwise in front of him, striking the spear's thrust in succession and driving the weapon's tip harmlessly above the striking line of its wielder's shoulder. The aggressive attacker, stunned by the advanced parry, found himself open and off-balance. Barely a split second later, before the attacker could even begin to recover, Driz's counter poked one and then the other scimitar pole into his chest. A soft blue light appeared on the stunned student's face, and he and Drizzt followed its line up to see a wand-wielding master looking down at them from the catwalk. "'You are defeated!' the master said to the tall student. "'Fall where you stand!' The student shot an angry glare at Drizzt and obediently dropped to the stone. "'Come!' Drizzt said to Kelnose, casting a glance up at the master's traveling light. "'Any others in the area will know of our position now.' We must seek a new defensive area. Kelnos paused a moment to watch the graceful hunting strides of his comrade. He had indeed made a good choice in selecting Drizzt, but he already knew, after a single quick encounter, that if he and this skilled swordsman were the last two standing, a distinct possibility, he would have no chance at all of claiming victory. Together they rushed around a blind corner, right into two opponents. Kelnos chased after one, who fled in fright, and Drizzt faced off against the other, who wielded sword and dirk poles. A wide smile of growing confidence crossed Drizzt's face as his opponent took the offensive, launching routines similarly basic to those of the spear-wielder that Drizzt had easily dispatched. A few deft twists and turns of his scimitars, a few slaps on the inside edges of his opponent's weapons, and the sword and dirk went flying wide. Drizzt's attack came right up the middle, where he executed another double poke into his opponent's chest. The expected blue light appeared. "'You are defeated!' came the master's call. "'Fall where you stand!' Outraged, the stubborn student chopped viciously at Drizzt. Drizzt blocked with one weapon and snapped the other against his opponent's wrist, sending the sword pole flying to the floor. The attacker clenched his bruised wrist, but that was the least of his troubles." A blinding flash of lightning exploded from the observing master's wand, catching him full in the chest and hurtling him back ten feet to crash into the stalagmite mound. He crumpled to the floor, groaning in agony, and a line of glowing heat rose from his scorched body, which lay against the cool gray stone. "'You are defeated!' the master said again. Drist started to the fallen drow's aid, but the master issued an emphatic, "'No!' Then, Kelnos was back at Driz's side. He got away, Kelnos began, but he broke into a laugh when he saw the down student. If a master calls you out, then you are out, Kelnos repeated into Driz's blank stare. Come, Kelnos continued, the battle is in full now. Let us find some fun. 
Drizzt thought his companions quite cocky for one who had yet to lift his weapon. He only shrugged and followed. Their next encounter was not so easy. They came into a double passage turning in and out of several rock formations and found themselves faced off against a group of three, nobles from leading houses both Drizzt and Kelnos realized. Driz rushed the two on his left, both of whom wielded single swords, while Kelnos worked to fend off the third. Drizzt had little experience against multiple opponents, but Zack had taught him the technique of such a battle quite well. His movements were solely defensive at first. Then he settled into a comfortable rhythm and allowed his opponents to tire themselves out and to make the critical mistakes. These were cunning foes, though, and familiar with each other's movements. Their attacks complemented each other, slicing in at Drizzt from widely opposing angles. Two hands, Zack had once called Drizzt, and now he lived up to that title. His scimitars worked independently, yet in perfect harmony, foiling every attack. From a nearby perch on the catwalk, Masters Hatchnet and Dinan looked on, Hatchnet more than a little impressed, and Dinan swelling with pride. Drizzt saw the frustration mounting on his opponent's faces, and he knew that his opportunity to strike would soon be at hand. Then they crossed up, coming in together with identical thrusts, their sword poles barely inches apart. Drizzt spun to the side and launched a blinding uppercut slice with his left scimitar, deflecting both attacks. Then he reversed his body's momentum, dropped to one knee, back in line with his opponents, and thrust in low with two snaps of his free right arm. His jabbing scimitar poles caught the first and the second squarely in the groin. They dropped their weapons in unison, clutched their bruised parts, and slumped to their knees. Drizzt leaped up before them, trying to find his words for an apology. Hotchnet nodded his approval as Dinan and the two masters set their lights on the two losers. Help me! Kelnos cried from beyond the dividing wall of stalagmites. Drizzt dived into a roll through a break in the wall, came up quickly, and downed a fourth opponent, who was concealed for a backstab surprise with a backhand chop to the chest. Drizzt stopped to consider his latest victim. He hadn't even consciously known that the drow was there, but his aim had been perfect. Hotchnet blew a low whistle as he shifted his light to the most recent loser's face. He is good, the master breathed. Drizzt saw Kelnos a short distance away, practically forced down to his back by his opponent's skilled maneuvers. Drizzt leapt between the two and deflected an attack that surely would have finished Kelnos. This newest opponent, wielding two sword poles, proved Drizzt's toughest challenge yet. He came at Drizzt with complicated feints and twists, forcing him on his heels more than once. Bergenyon of Halspin Ray, Hatchnet whispered to Dinan. Dinan understood the significance and hoped that his young brother was up to the test. Bergenyon was not a disappointment to his distinguished kin. His moves came skilled and measured, and he and Drizzt danced about for many minutes with neither finding an advantage. The daring Bergenyon then came in with an attack routine perhaps most familiar to Drizzt, the double thrust low. Drizzt executed the cross down to perfection, the appropriate parry as Zach Nefane had so pointedly proved to him. Never satisfied, though, Drizzt then reacted on impulse, agilely snapping a foot up between the hilts of his crossed blades and into his opponent's face. The stunned student of House Benray fell back against the wall. I knew the parry was wrong! 
Driz cried, already savoring the next time he would get the opportunity to foil the double thrust low in a session against Zack. He is good! Hatchnet gasped against his glowing companion. Dazed, Burgonyon could not fight his way out of the disadvantage. He put a globe of darkness around himself, but Drizzt waded right in, more than willing to fight blindly. Drizzt put the son of Hal Spenray through a quick series of attacks, ending with one of Drizzt's scimitar poles against Burgonyon's exposed neck. "'I am defeated!' the young Benray conceded, feeling the pole. Hearing the call, Master Hatchnut dispelled the darkness." Burgonyon set both of his weapons on the stone and slumped down as the blue light appeared on his face. Driz couldn't hold back his widening grin. Were there any here that could defeat him? He wondered. Driz then felt an explosion on the back of his head and dropped down to his knees. He managed to look back in time to see Kelnose walking away. Bah, a fool! Hatchnut chuckled, putting the light on Driz, then turning his gaze upon Dinan. A good fool. Dinan crossed his arms in front of his chest, his face glowing brightly, now in a flush of embarrassment and anger. Drizzt felt the cold stone against his cheek. But his only thoughts at that moment were rooted in the past, locked into Zach Nefane's sarcastic but painfully accurate statement, It is our way. <laughs>